welcome to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, a show dedicated to cybersecurity challenges, solutions, a journey together, not alone. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by Dave of Red Panda out of Las Vegas. Welcome, Dave. Hey, thank you. Hey, Dave, you've been on the show before, right? Like it's been a year, maybe a little longer. I don't think we were on a show. We were in a conversation, but not the show. Uh, we had a show. So we were saying we've com- we've had conversations. We just haven't recorded them. We're correct. Got it. That we know of. Someone's correct. always listening, right? It's, it's out there, yeah. So uh, the majority of you listening know that a large about, uh, I should say large, large, largely, uh, we have done multiple episodes over the last couple of years on risk, on risk management, on risk management plans. We've even done MSP Ignite Town Halls, Back to the Basics. We inevitably end up talking about risk. I happened to see your LinkedIn post uh, when you recently were speaking uh, at the UNLV on risk since that was kind of like, I feel like we say this about uh, advertising. Like if you say the word enough times, it will show up in your face. So like all of a sudden my LinkedIn feed is talking about risk. All of a sudden the podcast I recorded for someone else's show back in May is smacking me in the face. And so why, why fight it? Let's talk about risk even more. And to your point, you were, you were sharing with me earlier about the professor that is overseeing the cybersecurity program at UNLV and his theory on, you know, people are hundred percent of the risk. Right. And while I tend to immediately gut re- gut reaction says, no, that's not true. The reality is it's true in the context of it's the one area of risk we don't want to focus on because it is the most difficult to get buy-in. It is it is always going to be our challenge. But to your point, what you said is if we don't do a better job of educating people on risk and the impact of risk to their business, to their person, to their family, then fundamentally we are failing at something that we should be very successful at because those of us that care, those of us that have experience in, in navigating risk management and doing risk assessments, we should be able to make a difference because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, educating somebody on risks, both good and bad, is not complicated once you have the conversation to explain to whoever is resistant to the idea that risk right. matters to them. Right. So you've been doing this a long time, and and I think the story is, is also important. Uh, walk me through uh, your experience with regards to people being the problem. And I think I like to have our show kind of, as we go through some of the challenges and our experiences to wrap up with, these are some things that as solution providers, you absolutely can do will make a huge difference in, in your ability to impact people within the organization that you're working with, as opposed to you're showing up with the line card and you're saying, hey, we need to do a risk assessment. And they're like, hey, I don't want to write you another check. Right. Right. I uh, So thanks for having me. Um, I think one of the things like last week we were talking about the UNOV course that I was teaching at um, at that time, what it really is, is it's a business centered focused cybersecurity class. 
So they brought me in to talk about how to do business in cybersecurity, not the other way around, right? So what happens, their focus was primarily, why is cybersecurity important for business? Why do you need to understand business to understand cybersecurity? And that comes back to, like you said, I've got quite a bit of experience as do we all. Um, and most of the decision makers and executives are the people that make the decisions for the business. These are the same people that we have to explain risk to and why they should follow. And, and, and not laughable, but if you think about like the financial space, very rare that you'd walk into a bank at a board meeting level that they wouldn't be able to articulate at some form their risk strategy. Minimizing um, their risk. Yeah. Right. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if it's a publicly traded company, there's a good chance that someone in the organization has got some sort of risk model put together for the shareholders and their investment portfolios. And 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 I think what drives me absolutely nuts is when someone starts talking to me about the 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 racy matrix or one of the like the probability and it's low versus high and here's the seven or a six and right, you're like right. Okay, but let's just talk about things that we know are bad that could impact me. And is it financial financially reasonable for me to do some level of maybe not removing the risk altogether, but at least lowering the risk and have conversations that are a little bit less numbers and, and graphs and charts and red, yellow, green, and, and maybe more about like, how do you have the conversation that just says, hey, if you look around you, do you disagree or agree that we need to put, say, antivirus on your system? And if yeah. you disagree with that, that's okay. But please explain to me why you don't think it's worthwhile. Because maybe it's as simple as like, well, I've had this vendor and this vendor and this vendor. And every single time uh, we managed to get hit with ransomware and it doesn't seem to, to be making any difference, right? Like, okay, well, we definitely need to reconsider that Right. strategy but is that is that are, are we on the right track here yeah yeah i think we are i think like you said there's definitely the risk acceptance as they talk about but you got sure. the risk transference too right you get an insurance company involved and during my discussion a lot of it was about what my feelings are on how cyber insurance comes into play and the, the point being is it's after the fact right if you've gotten to the point where you need the insurance then you're not doing most of your job right? <laughs> because it really is about if not when right um and, so and if not when happen. how much yeah yeah right right so the point being with the risk and i talked about this in my class i'm a big believer in NIST 800-171 right there is a checklist there for a reason it doesn't mean it's applicable to all but what's the harm in trying to do it all Right. I, it's, uh, I've heard this said before, like, um, there's only three of us in our, in our company. And yeah. so this just seems yeah. like a, a really daunting task. Expensive. And, and, and I, and I often use the CIS, uh, framework as an example. It's like, it's, you know, it's got the implementation groups based on your capability yep. or capacity to do this. And, and I, and I have had this conversation so many times. I said, as a solution provider, you, you already are coming into this framework with so many pieces of the equation already happening in your organization because you're a solution provider. Like it says, have asset inventory. You're using tools proactively with your right. own organization and all your clients to collect that information. And you're telling me that this is too hard, like right. too hard to what? 
like define it too hard to accept it too hard to like because you're doing it but you don't seem to want to admit that you're doing it and and i think kind of to your point 800 uh csf we could list off frameworks probably all day long yeah yeah they all represent the same uh intentionality for different yep. data types right like the goal is more or less right. the same how do you protect the data that's been entrusted to you based on the industry that it was built around. And yeah. what bothers me the most, and, and maybe you share this with me, I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong here, is when someone says, oh yeah, we're not doing CIS, we're doing SOC 2 type 2. Okay, well, I don't care which one you've picked, but yeah. I also don't want to argue with you when we start talking about, say, things like asset inventory or um, security risk assessment or penetration testing. Those are all things that are going to be called out in the majority of the frameworks that are out there. So if we are really getting down to the form over the function, we're losing because I think at the end of the day, function more or less is very similar across all frameworks and the form is where they are different. Right. But so removing ourselves a little bit from the equation or removing the frameworks from the equation, this is where my professor um, and I have talked and agreed is this is where the human element does come in. So unless we as experts are able to explain the why, people will not be inclined to do so, right? And it has that trickle down effect is we need to explain the why to the leaders and the owners. And those are the people that are gonna make sure it happens in the company. Well, if they don't have our buy-in, if we're not good at communicating and we're not good at speaking in a way that they'll understand the why, um, it's probably not going to happen. Like you said, it doesn't matter if it's three people or 3,000 people. So if they don't have that buy-in and the, the understanding, then it's probably not going to happen. Do you think why is also the the why in, I, th I think there's more than one why with this human element, right? Yeah. You're the solution provider, you come in and I say, why do I need X? Right. As a solution provider, you can come up with a lot of things that are the why they need this, but two things come into play that will derail the entire conversation is why is because we're doing this for everybody and mm -hmm. we want everybody on this. That's not necessarily a very good answer. And the second one is um, why you, but not me. And and this is the one that I run into a lot. You know, a client says, or I'll, I'll get this from a solution provider. The client is pushing back on firewall yeah. XYZ. And you know, you ask why. And the the the, he, the the guy I talked to he goes, Well, they asked me what firewall we're using and why we're recommending this one for them. And I said, What was your answer? And he goes, Well, we use XYZ firewall because we work from home. And I go, that's not a very good answer. Right, right. It's terrible. It's not working from home. You know, the, the answer of saying we're a different type of organization, our business is built differently. Um, we're all snowflakes. Well, now you can start having a conversation with them that says, I care about your organization uniquely to your business and the risks that come with it. Yeah, I, you're dead on. It is definitely about caring about the person. But in the end, we got to realize that it's our name on it too, right? Right. So our it, care it will come back on you. So there is, so that's a, that's a good point. There is the why, because I'm telling you, like, as in like you had hired me to be the solution provider, putting security things in your environment. You know, it's kind of like shut your mouth and right. put it in. 
accept right. it. It's like when when you're trying to feed a baby and they don't want to eat it because it's green and mushy. I don't want right. to eat green and mushy either, buddy. So like, but I know that if I don't get my greens, it's going to hurt later. Yeah. And sometimes there is that risk where a solution is implemented for the betterment of the company just because you know it's what they should be doing. It's not that every little detail in a framework has to be explained and sure. understood by the other side, but sometimes we need to do that framework and start with you know zero trust, start with least privilege, start there and then allow people to do things. A be tolerant and accepting that people are gonna come complain to us why they can't do something. Sure. And then have that conversation instead of the other way around. Right having it totally wide open and then letting them complain their way down of the things that they want to see. We need to be more proactive and start implementing those things and let it open up gradually. It's funny you say that. I um, I was in DC a couple weeks ago for a state ramp uh, discussion and there was a panel that was made up of uh, CISOs and in, in some cases, they're they're like lieutenant, like number two person. I forget yeah. what the exact phrasing was. And and these were for like uh, Riverside County, California. Um, and I, I forget the other one. I want to say they were out of uh, Ohio. I'm, I'm sure I'm saying I'm, I'm butchering the where they're from part. But what was really interesting is the CISO literally said, he goes, the only person in our municipality that can say no is me. That's it. No one else can say no. And I thought that was really interesting because um, when I was sort of in the CISO role, I wasn't very, um, I wasn't very much enforcing that model, right? So like if one of the techs on my team told a teacher, no, they couldn't do that. Right. I didn't, I didn't step in and go, oh, hold on a second. Because at the end of the day, to, to your point, when someone says, why why is this no longer an option or why did you take this privilege away from me why can't i install applications anymore yeah. in some cases it's like oh you just wanted to be able to install applications okay here's how we're going to approach that if the application is approved within your organization as an application that's allowed to be installed and you feasibly could be the one installing it here's the path to get those apps approved and right. once those apps are approved then i don't care if you're installing those apps and be able to explain the, the why this is being allowed because the reality is this does two things. One, you remove shadow IT because now you're aware of an application being requested. Yep. And two, you're giving them the um, the ability to work somewhat independently to go, hey. The responsibility? Yeah. If it's in the corporate store, that means I have pre-approved access to this application, right? Right. There's so many examples of that that are out there that it's like, if someone is saying no on my team, if I was still a solution provider, they're telling a client, no, they can't do that. We already have a problem, right? Because the reality is it's not a question of whether or not you're saying no to, to the idea of what they want to do. You're saying yeah. no to that specific product. Like as we've seen, you know, Foxit reader or some sort of, like my favorite one, I see this all the time is, uh, yeah, so I got, you know, this thing rejected from Chrome browser, um, it's my PDF reader. I'm like, you do realize your browser will open PDFs without the extension. Right. They're like, well, yeah, but not the same way as I, I want it to. Okay. Right, right. Well, right. let's have that conversation. What is it that you're looking for right. that this special app or extension you want to plug in is going to do? And then let's look at making sure we don't already have the Correct. equivalent 
in the environment because I don't want to manage five PDF viewers in Chrome, even if they're the best five PDF viewers on the market. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I like that too. I, with that approach is you also are cost conscious. So we're doing our job on multiple levels. Uh, We need to keep them safe, but we also need to be aware of the tools and software that they use and potentially and possibly come up with better solutions that are more secure for their environment. And I found that too, if we're allowed to explain our why, if we're good at what we do, which a lot of times we're not, we can be defensive or just say no, because it's not secure without an explanation. But if we can do our job and explain it in a way, people will respect that more. And I think that as a trickle effect as well throughout the staff, right? People will be more inclined when they all understand why and why IT is involved and why we're doing what we need to do to keep them secure. Because if people want to say, well, I don't want to be secure, then you might have an issue. You might say, well, now we're going to be open, or I might not want them as a client, or I may not be able to help them. They may want all these things to be able to help, but if they're not fully bought in or if they don't understand on what they should be bought in on, that's actually going to come back on you in the end anyway. So you said something that um, is is one of those triggers that I have because I, I hear this. It's not my trigger per se, but the, the knowing. Should we test it out? Yeah. Knowing <laughs> Chris just, his head just spun around and his eyes rolled in the back of his head. Yeah. What was that trigger? Never seen that on a Zoom. <laughs> Uh, no, the the question is, you know, you're talking about like better understanding the client's business needs, better yep. understanding the tools that they need to use to yep. be effective, productive, efficient, whatever you want to call it, so yep. that we don't see shadow IT happen, right? right? And I think this is the one where I hear a lot of pushback. We don't have time to be experts on their business. And, and it's a fair point, especially if you're a smaller solution provider. But I mm-hmm. thought about that and I thought, well, okay, you're not swapping out hard drives like you used to. Correct. We're not dealing with printer configurations like we used right. to. The perimeter is largely defined in the, in the context of because we've got EDR and some other tools running on the endpoint, uh, I don't have to worry as much about the network perimeter as I used to because I now have tools that are protecting at the host level that are far more sophisticated than what we were dealing with even two years ago. So what is it that a solution provider is spending time on that potentially is not the best use of their time? And maybe you don't have the answer for this. It's okay if you don't. But that's the question that's coming into my head. Having left being an MSP back in 2018, completely jumped out of the space, went to a school district. And while I was there, I began to understand very quickly how much I didn't know that I had to learn to stay effective in the job role. Yeah. So I think people, and I still believe this, people get too lost in the weeds of after the fact, right? It's like staring at a seam all day long, staring at log files all day long. But if we do our job at the beginning, we have better filters in place. We have better review in place. We have all those things. So maybe IT, from what I've seen, gets too involved in the after the fact. I disagree with anyone that says you don't have time to understand the culture of your client. Because one, from a business perspective, that culture, that relationship is what's going to keep the loyalty from both sides. Sure. It's going to, what's going to keep them as a client because now they feel like, Hey, this guy really is involved. He's integrated. And guess what? Now he cares about my business. If you don't care, if you're not in that culture, 
what are you going to protect, right? The first step in most things is identify. Well, if you can't identify what you're protecting, and I'm talking about people, right? you have to know what position they're in and what their job titles are and what software programs they use. If you're not going to take that upon yourself, you're going to be constantly in the weeds trying to figure out who's doing what and who just did what and why a certain person needs this software and this other person needs that software. So you have to understand the culture. And this you relationship, this relationship that you're building with your client, to be candid, this isn't about being sympathetic to their needs. It's really just showing empathy, right? Like we're not going to say, hey, we've got we've had that same experience. We know what it's like to lose a pet, or we know, right. you know, right. this that's not what this is. Because well, even if we have that, it's not the same scenario. Well, it's not the same. Yeah, you just said it. You go to somebody and they're like, I can't open my PDFs. I can't open them anymore. Well, you can't open the PDF. That's sympathy and empathy. Well, empathy is, oh, I can understand. Let's get that solved for you. Sure. In our mind, we're saying, well, yeah, you can open it in anything. PDF is a PDF, right? Right. So there's right. two different perspectives. So you're right. A lot of it is empathy. You know, I've I've often thought about this. You know, what does it look like to teach solution providers the how to lead from a cybersecurity standpoint. And and it goes through my head probably once a week. And risk often is one of the leaders in, you know, that first course might even just be like, you know, uh, how to how to tackle proactive, reactive risk and how do you come up with a mitigation plan for risk. But the more I think about it, the more I come back to the culture component in my organization is far more important out of the gate than all of the other things we're ever going to talk about. Because if our culture is a cybersecurity first mindset, then we are already thinking about things like risk so that then a risk plan or a risk, right. even an education track is right. something that we, we have the palette for, right? You know, you can't, you can't walk you can't run before you walk. You can't walk before you crawl. And I and I think that's true. If if your culture in your company and and correct me if I'm wrong, if the culture doesn't invite a cybersecurity first mindset, then talking about all of the other pieces from a business or or technology perspective is honestly a, I think a waste of time. Yeah, it's dead on because I mean everything you can think of in risk, every single component of it starts with a conversation. And if you and can't have people. those conversations, yep. If you can't have that conversation with the people and you don't understand cybersecurity from that standpoint, like you said, if it's not already part of who you are, you can't have that conversation. So and that's so a good gonna, that's a good way to say it. If you if it's not if it's not who you are, how are you gonna ever have that conversation with a client? Right. Right. Yeah, it's a representation of your business and who you are, the culture, everything. Do you think that from a business perspective, the people part, we have to spend more time helping them understand the personal security sites? I think about this a lot too. It's easy for me to point a finger at someone else at work and say, right. that's not my job. Like someone else manages my laptop. Someone else right. is responsible. The blame game. The blame. Yeah. Maybe maybe blame is 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 a, is a negative in, in this context that I don't think is necessarily the case. I think it's more yeah. of that's not my job role stay in right, my right. own swim lane. Culturally, right. I've been taught to, if it's not my job, you know, maybe I make somebody aware of it, but I don't 
participate per se. Like I, you know, see something, say something, sure. But that's pretty much the extent of what I'm willing to accept on the, did my training program, but at home, at home, I know I'm responsible for myself and my family and my finances. And, you know, all these things come into play and then we leave it at home when we get to work. And, And I think if we can get them to be fully educated at home, that that will come with them back to work. Yeah, I think it's this comes down to the training component, right? You said at home, you have a certain role. You've got multiple roles at home. You go to work, you have very unique set of skills, as Liam Neeson says, right? As he, as he You like, have I'm... a very unique set of skills. You have yeah. one role or two roles, and that's what you do, which is important for what I call the role-playing game. Right? Yeah, That's part of the training. You have to open up the picture a little bit that we're all responsible. It's one cohesive unit. Everybody needs each other. It's not, hey, you're responsible for this and you're responsible for this. No, we're actually all one cohesive unit. So you have to have that culture. I think about the battle we play with, oh no, you're not turning 2FA on my computer. And it's like- Right, right. Hmm, it's taking too long. Yeah, so let's let's walk this one back. When you bank at home, do you have to put in a pin code or some sort of like, do you have to answer a couple questions after you put your password in? Oh yeah. Do you think that that level of obligation is too much to ask of you here at work? Because that's important to you. Because if if this isn't important to you, what you're really saying to me is this organization is, is not important enough to you. It's not at least as important as protecting yourself at home. Mm-hmm. And and you do realize that if you were compromised at work as an individual, there's a really good chance you're probably getting compromised at home too. Yeah. And I think people should, again, this comes back to us and our training and, and being able to explain, but there's a lot of understanding that goes on too. I mean, hey, if somebody, I agree, maybe it is too long, but if somebody does get a hold of our information because of what we do, right, there's audit logs. Well, if somebody got your information, guess what it would look like? who did the bad event right it would have your name all over it it was me just kidding someone got my information right like right now granted there's obviously more extensive research sometimes there's not true true a boss would just want to know who did what how did they get into our system go look at some employee handbooks and the policies that go with it you are responsible for protecting your identity as it pertains to you you are responsible it's like okay but if they got in through mechanisms that are outside of my control, they've used my identity and I can't definitively prove that it wasn't actually me doing it based on policy and what's in our procedures. I may still be. Correct. You'll be the, liable. The scapegoat. It, yeah. I'm liable. Responsibility. And I don't think we put it like not proposing that policy should be written that way, but I think at the end of the day, we're not putting enough responsibility, burden of responsibility on people to in the context of, of see something, say something, right? Uh, I think the flip side is also true. We make people feel shamed and guilty to a point mm-hmm. that they don't want to tell you. Yeah, yeah, like um, children. We get yeah, I, I got a, I got some uh, marks off my score for um, the security training because I didn't report the, the emails, the phishing emails. I didn't report them. Like, do you realize how many emails a lot of us get? If it yeah, looks yeah. bad, I'm deleting it. Like, if it's not pertinent that I read it, like it says, Hey, you've won, you know, an Amazon gift card or whatever. And yeah. I wasn't expecting to get that. I just delete the email. And I'm like, yeah. why are you punishing me for that? Why am I getting a lower score based on doing due diligence as far as protecting myself? I understand 
that you would like to have it reported. If that's the case, then we need to do an education track on what the expectations are for reporting on the, I saw yeah, yeah. something that was questionable. What's the best path? Because if you tell me like, oh, open a ticket, I've already turned off the switch. That's that's a lot of work on something that may not be valuable at all. Yeah, it has to be the positive reinforcement, right? Positive reinforcement. Yeah, I heard it from Arctic Wolf. I've heard it several times now. Uh, I think her name's Dina. I can't remember her last name, but she she preaches the whole, if, if security awareness training is not a encouragement and positive and something that people want to take, then you've, you failed in security awareness training. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, Dave, we have a few minutes left. Is there any specific things that you can think of that we might've missed that we should share with the listeners? Cause we now have now created another episode that is focused on risk. <laughs> that might be a risk of losing clients in and of itself. I've lost my audience because <laughs> I keep talking about risk. Thanks. That's a risk you took. I took a risk. I did. Dave was the risk. I knew he wanted to talk about risks. I'm blaming, I'm blaming it on Dave. So yeah. be shamed, Dave. I'll take it. Yeah. And now I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm not going to report it to you. Oh man. No. You, you got yeah. feedback that you're not sharing with me because I was yeah. shaming you. Got it, man. This is rough. <laughs> no, I, I love talking about risk. I love talking about all this stuff, right? Um, it's all important. I just, in the end, I really think a lot of it comes down to us, what yeah. we're doing on our side. Are we doing the training? Are we doing a good job of explaining the whys? Are we doing a good job of helping helping people understand why things are in place or why they need to be a certain way? Right? Yeah. Because if it's for the overall betterment of everybody, and they could even apply those learnings into their personal life as well. Yeah. I also think um, I would add that I think this is an area where solution providers, even in the same geographic region, should not see themselves as competitors when it comes to talking about risk and educating yep. the the prospect or or you know existing end users because the reality is no one wants a client that doesn't understand risks at all right like that right. that's just starting over at ground zero so the reality is whether you're losing a client to another msp or you're getting one that might have been with another msp the more educated they are on their risk the better everybody ends up being because this is this is a joint effort right like this is correct we're it's it, you, you no better explanation would be like virus total or something like that where you've got these vendors that are like feeding into the bad things that are happening rather than going i'm not telling sovos about what i found over here at you know norton because right. better than they are right like that's not that's not the reality there's too much bad happening to not all try to work together to, for the betterment and the, the good of, of people. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right, Dave, um, we're closing it out. Any, any last words? Uh, no, happy Tuesday. Have a good day. All right. Happy Tuesday. For those of you listening, have a great week.